0: Hey, y'all, my name is
1: Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emanuel and Hooksett. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. It's going to become hard, as if it wasn't already, to be a Christian. I remember Pastor Z was preaching many years ago. He's our founding pastor. I just noticed Pam sitting there. And I was like, you remember when he used to say that? Man, the world is getting so dark, it only takes a little bitty light. He thought the, dark, the world was dark back in 1992. Pastor Z probably he's probably rolling over in his urn out there by the rock. I mean, they thought it was bad. They thought it was like Noah's day. They had no idea how bad it was going to get. And indeed, church, if you're wondering if the culture in society is bad, it is. It is. Isaiah says, Woe unto them that call good evil and evil good. We are now in a culture where a lot of that's been turned on its head. Evil is good. Good is evil. And if you stand for good or you even just believe what's good and you don't support evil well, then you're declared to be a bigot or evil yourself. How do you think Christianity is going to be persecuted? Do you think we're going to be persecuted just because we believe in Jesus? It's what we believe because of Jesus that rubs people the wrong way. I'm not talking about grabbing pickets and marching down the street. Yelling at everybody. I'm talking about standing firm on the truth. Well, have you watched the decline of our nation? And the world? Into confusion and contradiction and wondered how do we navigate this mess? If you have, this series is for you. My goal in this series is pretty simple. I want to give the church the tools so you can discern for yourselves what is theologically correct, what is morally right, and what is absolute truth. Uh, I think Christians, sometimes we rely too much on coming to church on Sunday and being told what's right and what's wrong. And as a pastor, the Bible says I'm to equip you for the ministry. I'm to equip you to think for yourself. I am to equip you to discern what is right and what is wrong and to read the Word for yourself and to gain knowledge from the Holy Spirit and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He leads you and guides you, directs you, and warns you. And I really hope that this series will do that. So we've opened up in prayer. And so let's go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. This passage of Scripture is referred to as Jesus' high, priestly, high priest prayer. He's praying for His disciples. He's getting ready to leave them, right? In John 14, we see the discourse, "...let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me." Right? He begins to comfort His disciples He begins to teach them about his departure and he teaches them that there is only one way, only one truth, only one life, that is Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That's Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There are Christians today that that they'll fill out a survey for Rasmussen or for Pew or for one of these other polling things and they will say this, that Christianity is one of many paths to God. I question their true belief. Because Jesus is the only Son of God. He is the provided Lamb by God the Creator to take the penalty for our sin. How could there be any other way that would wash away our sins? Without the shedding of blood, the Scripture says there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no cleansing of sin. Without the shedding of blood. And Jesus' blood was shed for us. So when Christians fill out these polls and they say, well, Jesus is one way to heaven. Are you? A Christian. Yeah, but pastor, that sounds absolute when you say there's only one way. You sound so arrogant to say there's only one way. I'm just trusting in what the book says. There's only one name, one name under heaven given among men. Paul the Apostle says, whereby you, or Luke says, you must be saved. You must be saved. Christians, if you're here today and you have friends and family and you think they might get to heaven through some other means, you are deluding yourself. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. He loved the world so much he took responsibility for the world that he created and provided a way for them to come back to him. The world has been rejecting Jesus for some time now, in fact, from the very beginning. And so here Jesus is, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He's going to be crucified. And he begins to pray to the Father for his disciples. And he says, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they, the disciples, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When you accepted Jesus, you were grafted into the branch. You were grafted into the nation. You were grafted into a people of God. You are not of this world. We'll look on that a little bit longer in a moment. He goes on and says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's two times in three verses. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to set them apart. Set them apart. From what? What is he talking about? Who will hate the disciples? The world. So he says set them apart from. Set them apart by what? By your truth. Your word is truth. Period. Where can we find truth today? You have the book. It's either in your phone or it's in your hand. You have the book. This is truth. If this isn't true, then we're all damned and going to hell because the only place that tells us of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, the only place is in this book. This is the special, direct revelation from God. General revelation from God is the world around us, the earth, the sky, the universe, the trees, the clouds. That also tells us that there is a God, but the Bible reveals to us His name. And the way back to Him. So, moving on. As you sent me, Father, as you sent me, the Son, into the world, not just the earth, but the people, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I set myself, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone. So he's praying for his disciples that are hanging out with him, that he's been teaching for three years, and those that had come later, and he's, t- he's talking to them, and now he's praying for them. But then he gives us this boon. It's such a great blessing. He says, I'm not just praying for these alone, but also for those who will believe on me through their word. Where is their word? Where is the testimony of the saints found? Those disciples right here. Right here. And then as people came to Christ, we have testimonies all through the ages. But he's praying for those who would believe on him through their word, and that is who. Who is he who's he praying for? Us. Church, Jesus prayed for you. You ever walk up to somebody, you're going through a really hard time, and you say, hey, uh, hey, Ron, would you pray for me? And Ron say, yeah, I'll pray for you. You know, and there's some comfort in that, you have brothers and sisters, and we should be doing that for each other and with each other. Well, Jesus is praying for you. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> So I'm praying for my disciples now and for my disciples later that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And this is where we begin to talk about the essentials of the faith. There are a lot of secondary doctrines and third-tier doctrines where denominationally we disagree I I have a wonderful pastor's fellowship, a prayer group. I have Presbyterian, not the liberal Presbyterians, but those who adhere to the word of God and the gospel of truth. I have uh, four C brothers in Christ. I have Southern Baptist brothers in Christ. I have Nazarene brothers in Christ. And you know what we agree is on the essential doctrines of the faith. We are one in those areas. Do you follow? We are one with the Father, one with the Son, and one with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we did trunk or treat. And I think one of the reasons the community was so blown away by our churches working together is because so often churches have refused to work together because they disagree on non-essentials. But man, when believers come together, and not in a Jesus, there are churches that believe in a Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. Let's be clear on that. I am not ministering with a church that does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as presented in the Scriptures. God the Son died for our sins and rose again that we might be saved not through works that we have done, but through the work that He has done. These brothers that we served with on that um, October 29th or 30th, they believe in those things. And there are other churches in town that do not believe in those things. They do not believe in the absolute truth of the Word of God. And so we did not welcome them to partner with us. Well, that makes us bigoted. So be it. Moving on. I'm praying, Father... That they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is something that's truly sad today. By the grace of God, we are able to unite with those churches to do that outreach. But sadly, even in one single church, there are divisions. And people are divided not only over non-essential doctrines, they're divided over preferences, They're divided over petty bitterness. They're divided along income levels and social status. They're divided along educational lines. But we're to be one in Christ. We're to prefer one another more than we prefer ourselves. We're to take care of each other. The Bible says we're to look over each other's business. Not all up in their business but we're to be concerned about e- enough about each other that we, we kind of know what's going on and there's people in the church that are there to, to bless us. I was thinking a lot about this the other day. Years ago, we had a singing group come to church. They were the Campbell family singers. Uh, the, son had, uh, the son had stomach cancer at the time. And the father, the old, the old patriarch of the family, uh, he was sharing that story. And as they were packing up to leave and I was trying to help them out, I was the associate back then. I think I was the associate, or maybe not. We had already had Kirsten, my daughter, with cerebral palsy, and we were going through our own thing. And I don't think I said much of anything. And he he takes me aside, he puts his hand on my shoulder, he says, listen, son, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be hard for you to hear. You need to let people bless you. I had no idea what he was talking about. I know now, some of you all got to get over yourselves and let people bless you. Every good gift descendeth down from the Father of lights. And when people are going out of their way to bless you, you ought to be grateful for the person and also grateful for the God that moved upon the heart of the person. This is, this, this is something that should happen regularly in our church. We should be looking to bless one another, to love one another, that we might be one. That the world could look at us, come into our services, and not only hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached from the pulpit, but they should see it alive and active in our lives right here in the church. When we have coffee fellowship time after service, when we have any kind of fellowships, we should be we should be determined to be here so we can be with our brothers and sisters, so we can be the blessing. And if you're a little bit selfish, be blessed. Let's go on. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There's so much in here, church. the very first thing that we want to make sure we understand as we begin this series on learning to discern is that we are not of this world. I think a few weeks back, maybe a few months ago, I was preaching and I looked out over the sanctuary and I saw some teenagers and, and middle schoolers in our, in our service. And you know, those particular years, one of the most important things for you to feel is that you belong. Has anybody ever felt that way? I just want to belong. And that's where compromise begins. Because you want to go to school and you want to belong. And so you're willing to do whatever it takes sometimes to belong. And you know, that doesn't just stop at middle school and teenage years. It goes into college, and it goes into career, and it goes into later in life. You go to work. They're doing all sorts of nefarious things in the name of good and they demand that you participate with them. Well, you're not going to feel like you belong when you say, well, I can't support that. I love you, I love them, but I can't participate in that. We are not of this world. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we are ambassadors for Christ. That means we are sent to this world as ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven, and we have a whole different set of rules and culture. So when an ambassador goes into another country, he respects the other country as much as it is. You follow? You respect the laws of that country. You respect the customs of that culture, country and culture. But you do not adopt them as your own. And if they require you to break the law of your own country, well, you're not going to do it. Or you shouldn't. So we come into this country that is not our own. We are pilgrims, the Bible says. We are sojourners. We are on our way to a better place, to a greater kingdom, right? And we are journeying through this place as ambassadors for Christ, representing Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. And while we do this, we become all things to all men, that by all means we might save some, but we do not break the law of the kingdom to do it. Peter said, should we follow the laws of God rather than man? There's coming a day where there will be compelled speech, possibly, in this country. Speech that is compelled is not free speech. It is speech that is forced upon you that you must speak lies, or you will be breaking the law. Be breaking the law in this church. well, that was uncomfortable. But we're not of this world. We are just as Jesus was, not of this world. The world is a fallen culture and fallen systems that surround us. Not the beauty and the grandeur of the earth and the mountains and the sea, it's the world system and the people and demons that prop it up. And though we may be, listen, though we may stumble and fall into this mess, we have the means to have our feet clean through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, you will not be perfect. There will be times where you'll be sucked into the culture, and you will fail and you will fall. But because you're a Christian, you have the means to be clean. You come to the Father through the Son, and you're forgiven and you're cleansed, and you move on. But the world, church, the world is lost. They don't have a relationship with God the Father. They may not even believe in a God at all. And if they don't see Him in us, what hope do they have? Somebody once said the church is plan A and there is no plan B. Folks, prior to the tribulation, prior to the end, it's the church. And then one day an angel is going to fly to the corners of the globe and he's going to preach the gospel That all will hear it and they will reject and curse to the face of God. So, what does it mean that we're not in this world? We have a higher calling. How do we discern what is good and true versus what the culture and society around us says is good and true? There's going to be a lot of pressure on us, church, to bend and to cave and to flex and to compromise as the culture grows darker and darker and darker. So where do we find truth? How do we discern it? The Lord has separated us and is separating us from the world we live in. Now, at times, is a painful process as the people around us begin to see the truth in us and hate us as it hated Him. See, there was a time in our country where you could almost say that the, the United States of America was a Christian nation. Certainly, there was a Christian influence in the founding of our country in many, many decades since. So that there was almost a Christianized culture where you may not have known Christ, but the moral fabric of our country was based on Judeo-Christian principles. Follow? So right was right and wrong was wrong, and it by and large followed the biblical premise. But as we move further and further from that foundation, and as more and more demons begin to stir up, I believe, begin to stir up the leadership in our country and groundswell movements in our country, our country began to lose its anchor in the Word of God, or even if it wasn't anchored in the Word, as some suspect, the anchor in the principles of the Word, it became unmoored and it began to drift. There's no anchor in our country really anymore. We agree on very few things that are moral. No raping and no killing is pretty much what we can agree on in our culture today. Because stealing can be excused. Lying can be excused. And really at some point, rape will be excused. And even murder. Where do we draw the line? Well, when you begin to stand for the truth and you just live your life, you don't even have to start beating people in the head with anything. Just follow the Word of God. They're going to notice you and then they're going to hate you. Who wants to be hated in here this morning? Anybody want to be hated? I'm hoping some of y'all raise your hands. The Bible says if you're going to follow hard after Christ, you are going to suffer persecution. The Bible says that, listen, the world hated Jesus and they're going to hate you too. So, what do we do? As God is separating us from the world we live in, a culture we live in, it can be a painful process. People around us begin to see Him in us and the truth in us. They begin to hate us, but in spite of that, we must follow Him. In fact, I would say, because of that, we must follow Him. Because they must see Him. There's churches today that refuse to talk about sin. I'm not naming sins right now, but they refuse to talk about sin, and they just want to talk about salvation. But church, there is no salvation without sin. There is no hope without need. And if we walk in the world as the world walks, where will their conviction come from? Where will the conviction of the Spirit come from? He's in us. And you, Listen, like I said, you might not even have to open your mouth at some point. Because if they look at you and they perceive the difference in you, they may ask you for a reason for the hope That is within you. This world has no hope, and so we follow Him. We follow His truth, the truth, not their truth or the culture's truth or the world's truth, but His truth. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter one, nineteen, verse one sixty. The what is that? say what's that word? I can't read. The what? The what? Entirety. What does that mean? What does it mean? All of what? All of what? Your word is what? How much of it? How much of it? How much of it? Come on. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Princes persecute me without a cause. It's common, church. But my heart stands in awe of Your Word. I rejoice at Your Word as one who finds great treasure. And I want to challenge us, church. I say us. I mean all of us. we need to to begin to love the Word of God. I mean, we we need to begin to treasure the Word of God. I mean, we need to begin to honor the Word of God. It should have the highest place in our lives as it's speaking His Word to us. No other opinion, not even our wives' opinion, guys, or our husbands' opinions, should hold a candle to the sun that is the Word of God. Certainly the culture's opinion should not even cast a shadow upon the Word of God in the life of a believer. It's the Word of God. It's a treasure, he says. Why is it such a treasure? On John 17, we read, Your Word is truth. My old King James here peeking out, Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them by Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Set them apart by Thy truth. Where do we find truth? Thy Word is truth. It is a treasure today. I'll tell you what, man. You want to find truth today, There's almost no other place you can look for it but in the Bible. As we go through this series and as we work through it, if there's only one thing that I pray that you take away from this series is this, that God's Word is truth. I want you to have the tool to discern for yourself right from wrong morality and truth. Even justice. And you find it all In the Word of the living God. Thy Word is truth. What does it mean for you and me? Well, there have been preachers in the past and there are celebrity preachers even now who seem to want to unhitch their ministries from thus saith the Lord. They think it's antiquated or will be misunderstood by the world. And they're right! The world will not understand the Word. How can you say you have faith in a book? It's just a book. I don't believe in your supernatural book. Well, they don't have to. But you do. You do. Folks, we don't unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament either because the Old Testament is hard to understand. Because we see some horrible things in the Old Testament that tries our faith. And the enemy comes in and he says, how could God be so good if this, this, and this? Well, God is good. And while we may not understand this, this, and this, we can understand this. God is good and righteous and fair. So, thy word is truth. These ministries want to create ministries that do not offend Folks, at some point in our culture, it will be impossible for you not to at least be offensive in your lifestyle. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about beating people over the head with the truth of the Word of God. The only truth they really need to know from the Word of God is that they are a sinner and there is a great Savior who loves them literally to death. That is what they need to know. They don't need us to come and argue with them from authority. Our our authority is the Word of God. Church, listen to me. Your authority over your life is the Word of God. You need not argue from authority. They don't believe your authority. They don't agree with your authority. But you better believe it and you better live under it And when they see it in you, you have an opportunity to say, Oh, well, I just love Jesus so much, I want to follow him. Hey, all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources, and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God. Get out there and be the blessing.